This morning I'd like to look for a little while at the story of Goliath. And there's a lot of different directions that we could take this. But the direction that I would like to take it is facing your giant. Just like David had his giant to face. So what the deal was, the, the army of God's arm, people, his army, was faced off with the Philistines. And they'd been at a standoff for a while because of one problem, and that problem was Goliath. And every morning, Goliath would come out, I think they were like across the valley, and he would yell at the, uh, the Israelites, said, you send a man out here and I'll fight him. And whoever wins that battle, then we, that person's army wins the war. There was only one trouble with Goliath. He was nine feet nine. Now, a lot of you were wondering why I was wanting a tape measure. And I will say that none of you manly men had tape measures, but Tori and Connie did. So with Connie's little six foot tape measure, I was able to measure nine feet nine. Goliath, if he was standing here beside me, would be that tall right there. And you know that if he was that much taller, that his chest was that much bigger and his hands were that much bigger, he could stand here and he could put up this, this equipment on the ceiling without even a step stool. He probably couldn't put the trim up here because, he had, well, he could. He had to get down on his knees to put the trim because he was so tall. And he would come out every morning, and here's all these soldiers, and here's Saul, the chosen the king, that, uh, or the man that God chose to be king over the armies. Here's these experienced fighters, and they're all afraid of this man. So David's a shepherd back home, and his brother's in the army. And so one day David's dad says, go check on your brother. So David runs. Apparently it's not very far from where David and his dad live. So David runs to where the battle is, and he sees what's going on. He gets there, and Goliath, like he always do, he comes out and he challenges the, the armies, and everyone's afraid, and David says, what's going on? And so they explain to him. And then Samuel chapter 17, uh, David asked a question. I said, he asked everyone what's going on. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he, or Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. So what's this guy doing defying God's armies? And uh, so, like I said, they tell him. And in verse 32, um, all the people, all the soldiers tell Saul what's going on. And so Saul calls for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now David's only a 17-year-old, well about a 17-year-old kid. hope that's not our car. Let's see here. Oh, it's not because my key's over there. But I do remember one other thing I've got here. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> David said, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David was just a kid. It says later that Saul looked at him and he disdained him. He despised him. You know, like, who are you? He said that he was youthful and ruddy. Ruddy means a healthy red glow. Sometimes we talk about a little kid, uh, a kid's rosy red cheek. So apparently David, or possibly David, had rosy red cheeks. And so he's just a kid, and he goes and tells the king. That's like you and me going to, uh, I don't know who's the general over the armies, and say, I'll, I'll go fight, you know, the Al-Qaeda or something. <laughs> you, we've got tanks and planes and jets and bombers. Who are you? So anyway... And they, uh, David says he'll go out. Now, 
Saul, it says in First uh, Samuel chapter, uh, well, chapter 17, that um, Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. Mail is like uh, this material, but it's made out of chain. And we were at a Celtic festival last year and they had these guys out there uh, doing Viking simulations and one of them had a, a coat of mail like you were on your chest, like I guess the size of a t-shirt. And I picked that thing up and I bet it weighed 15 or 20 pounds. Well, Goliath had one of these suits of mail and his weighed 125 pounds. I doubt most of you here could lift 125 pounds and this is what he wore when he went out to battle. The Bible says that his spearhead, it says that his spear was like a weaver's beam. Without going into a lot of detail, a weaver's beam may have been like this big around and maybe 10 feet long. And then on the end of that, he had a 15-pound spearhead. Have you ever seen the Olympics? Or maybe in high school, track and field, the guys do the shot put, that metal ball. That thing weighs 16 pounds, and the world record is only 70-something feet. And yet here's Goliath, and he's got this spear that's 10 feet long and this big around, and he's got a 15-pound spearhead on the end. Now, he wasn't carrying that for looks. If He was a soldier. If he had a 15-pound spearhead, it's because he could use a 15-pound spearhead. So David was going up against a, a literal giant. So anyway, we know the story. David went out and he picked up five smooth stones and he got a sling. About two months ago, I talked about David and Goliath and uh, Corey called me and Corey asked me some questions after church. He said, what's a sling? We got to talk about that. And on Wednesday, he sent me a picture. He said, he said I bought you a sling. <laughs> he bought each of us a sling. Now, I don't know what David's was like. It may have been longer than this. But this has got a loop on one end. And I haven't learned to use it yet because I'm afraid I'll put out a window. Angie said, too bad you're not good at this. You could shoot an apple off Yancey's head. And I said, <laughs> so you put, and I thought they put little rocks. But doing some reading, maybe the rock was like the size of a golf ball. <laughs> and I would not even want a, a golf ball thrown at my head, much less coming out of a sling like this. And I think Angie said they just sling it once and uh, they can shoot it a long ways. And uh, that's what David did. This is all he had. Goliath had that big spear and this is all David had. And uh, so the story goes that uh, he, sh- he, uh, he went out to, to Goliath and the Bible says in... Uh, Verse 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, he despised him. He said, for he was uh, but a youth, he was ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Well, David tells him what he's going to do. And it says so in verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward uh, the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, he took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. 
David went and drew the, he didn't have a sword of his own, he went and drew the uh, Goliath's sword, which must have been massive, and cut off Goliath's head. Just like David said. He said, I'm going to cut off your head today. And he did it. So what I want to talk to us, talk about for us today, is overcoming our giant. Now David was a shepherd. He was not a professional soldier. He was tending the sheep. And when his dad said, go check on your brothers and see how they're doing. So David understood about being a shepherd. And I would imagine, like most of our jobs, it was probably pretty boring. Out in the pastures day after day, looking after all these sheep. You don't have a smartphone. You don't have an iPod. You don't have a radio. You don't have a TV. You don't have anything. You're just out there with nothing. Which is probably how David got extremely good with this sling. He didn't have anything else to do, so all day long he would just shoot squirrels and flowers and, and whatever he saw. But he had to look after the sheep, and for the most part, it was a boring job. But occasionally, problems came up. One of the things he tells Saul, Saul says, you can't go fight this, uh, this giant. And David tells Saul, says, I look after my father's sheep, and I used my sling. A bear came after the sheep. A lion came after the sheep. And I used this sling, and I killed them both. I can kill this giant. So occasionally... And, I've heard it said about flying that uh, being a pilot is uh, uh, extreme boredom interrupted by moments of sheer terror. And that's, I guess, the way it was with David. And that's the way it is with you and me sometimes. Everything's going good, life's rocking along, we, we're married, our kids are growing, we got a job, and, and something happens. I remember the day I had worked at the fire station. I'd worked a 24-hour shift. We start at 7 in the morning, work 24 hours, get off. Well, I worked overtime. And so they said, we need you to go out to station 6. Maybe someone's on vacation or sick or something. So I got all my stuff. And I get out to station 6. I'm getting all my gear ready to put by the, the fire engine. And I get a phone call from Angie. And she's hysterical. And I said, and I can't understand. She's crying, and, and I can't understand a word she's saying. And I probably said something. You're, I can't understand you. You have to calm down and tell me. What happened was, one of our daughters was living this, with us at the time, and she had three-month-old twin girls, and one of them had died in the middle of the night. So I had to pack up and go home, and we had to deal with this tragedy. We had a funeral, a three-month-old baby. And... Uh, Problems come into our lives all the time. We get laid off from a job. We go to the doctor and get a cancer diagnosis. Uh, someone dies. We get fired from a job. Uh, divorce. All sorts of things. And so just like David, we've got our giants that we've got to deal with. And I actually think that it would be easier if the giant was somebody we could see. You know, dealing with emotions and spiritual problems, those are, you can't see those. Those are so abstract and hard to deal with. I think a, a lion or a bear or a giant might be easier sometimes. So I think there's three things that we can learn from David. The first thing is that David trusted God. In verse 37... After David tells Saul that he's going to go kill this giant, David said, The Lord 
who delivered me from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then uh, David also says again, he's talking to Goliath. And he says in verse 45, and Goliath says, I'm going to kill you and give your flesh to the birds of the air. David says in verse 46, oh, verse 45, David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, not I, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. David didn't go out talking about what a good person he was. David went out talking about what a great God God is. And so when we face the giant in our life, if we try to do it by ourselves, we're going to have an awful hard time. The first lesson we can get from David is that he trusted God. Later, David wrote Psalm 27. In verse 1, he says, The Lord is my, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. That's why David was able, able to overcome Goliath because he knew where his strength comes from. In Psalms 23 and verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I'm not going to lack anything. David knew what it was like to be out with the sheep all day and to protect them from animals, make sure they had water, make sure they had something to eat, pull them out of holes. Have you seen the video on YouTube? where a long trench. And this guy, a shepherd, he reaches in and he pulls this sheep out and he gets him out of this trench and the sheep takes off and tries to jump in that trench and jumps right back in the trench. David knew about stuff like that. But then David also knew, just like he took care of the sheep and protected them, David knew the Lord is my shepherd. He knew that God was taking care of him. Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Paul said, I know who I've trusted. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your, your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. You know, often I said that uh, giants come into our lives. Sometimes it's a cancer diagnosis or a death or a car wreck, something we can't help. But when it comes to things like divorce and uh, maybe problems with our teenagers and problems at work, a lot of times those are problems we brought on ourselves. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes someone at work is just out to get you. But a lot of times we bring problems on ourselves, and that's because we're trying to do things our way. Solomon said, lean not on your own understanding. 
talking to someone recently and talking about 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. John writes, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now when you and I talk about being faithful, that means we believe in God. That's why we're here this morning and we pray to him. What does it mean that God is faithful? Does God believe in himself? That's not what that means. Have any of you ever been a Boy Scout? I don't know if any of you have. We've talked and no one's ever brought it up. I was a Boy Scout, and I hadn't been a Boy Scout in 51 years. I guess when I was 15, I wanted to explore Scouts. They have what they call the 12 points of the Scout Law. 51 years, I can still do say all 12 points of the Scout Law. But the first one is, a Scout is trustworthy. Well, we know what that means. If you hired a Boy Scout to mow your yard or or whatever, you could trust him to do what he said he would do. And that's what it means when it says that God is faithful. It means you can trust God to do what he said he would do. God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. David trusted God, and we need to trust God. I noticed in reading the story, something jumped out at me. And the second point I want to make is, the Bible says when David and Goliath started to fight, David didn't just stand there and get in a good stance. You see karate guys, you know, get in their stance. David didn't just stand there. The Bible says he ran towards Goliath. What did he do that for? Well, I don't know. But I know one thing. David wasn't afraid of him. Maybe David wanted to hurry up and get close to Goliath before Goliath could throw that spear, and David wanted to get up close enough he could hit him with the, with the rock. I don't know. David ran towards the giant, and all the other soldiers were running from the giant. You know, when we have a giant in our life, not everything that we face can be overcome, but nothing can be overcome until we face it. Now, here's how I like to deal with problems. I like to ignore them and hope they'll go away. And sometimes they do. But often they don't. They just get worse. You ever heard about the five stages of grief? If, like uh, you lose someone or lose a job. The first, there's five stages. There's denial. The first thing you do is say, this can't be happening. I can't believe this. And the second thing is anger. Then you get mad that you got fired. And then there's the bargaining. You know, people say, oh God, if you'll only do this, then I'll be faithful to you forever. Then there's the depression. And then there's the acceptance. We go, it is what it is. And I've just got to move on from here. But the first step, remember what the first step is? Denial. We don't want to admit that there's a problem. I heard about it. Uh, a counseling session where the counselor asked, he said, what's the problem? And uh, the woman told what the problem was. The husband said, we don't have a problem. And the counselor said, well, I can see one problem right away, and that is you can't even agree if there's a problem or not. The first thing you've got to do is accept there's a problem, and then you've got to face it, and you've got to deal with it. When you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, have you ever heard of, uh, what do they call that? Uh, where all your friends get together and intervention, intervention yeah. 
a guy's an alcoholic and he just won't admit it. And his wife's tried to talk to him and, and he, he said, I don't have a problem, I can control it and everything. And finally, all of his friends get together and they put him in the room. And all his friends, his family, they look at him and say, you are an alcoholic. You have a problem. You need to do something about it. And he's forced to face it. I've never been, but I've heard if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, the way you introduce yourself is you say, I'm Danny Logan, and I'm an alcoholic. We can't deny that there's a problem in our life. Well, I guess we can. We always do. But we can't fix the problem until we admit that there's a problem. Now, you can either be like David, and you can face the problem, or you can be like Jonah and run from the problem. So the, the thing that we can learn from Jonah is what is God wanting you to do that you are running from? The lesson we can get from David is that we've got to run towards the problem. Paul said in Philippians 4, in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the key word here? Do. I can do. We don't sit in our easy chair and pray for God to work miracles and just solve stuff without us doing anything. I've heard it said that we should work like it all depends on us, but we should pray like it all depends on God. This is a team effort. The quarterback can't win the game by himself. He's got to have receivers. He's got to have people to block. It's a team effort. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I've got to do my part. David ran towards Goliath. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, Paul compares a Christian to three different things. He compares, them, compares us to a soldier, he compares us to an athlete, and he compares us to a farmer. Uh, we are all familiar with Ephesians chapter 6. It's put on the whole armor of God. What is a soldier? A soldier is a fighter. A soldier isn't just a guard. A soldier is a fighter. And when we've got something in our life, we have to face it head on and we're going to have to deal with it. Now, I'm not going to get in to how to deal with addictions, how to deal with anger problems. These are just two big topics and these are good lessons for another time. But if we don't have the right attitude like David did, we're not going to overcome the addictions, the crises, and the giants in our lives. And the third thing that I want to point out about David, the third lesson we can get from David, is that David gave God the credit. We talked about how he told Saul, he says, the Lord will deliver the giant into my hands. David wasn't tooting his own horn and talking about how good he was. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, before the Israelites go into the promised land, God warns them. He, he promised them all this time. Remember, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and they were in the wilderness 40 years. Now they're about to go into the promised land, and he promised this land is flowing with milk and honey. It was a great land that God was leading them to. 
And so he warns them in verse 11 of Deuteronomy 8, you beware, you be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes when I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and you live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery, and who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water out for you out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness. Verse 17, he says, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. God warns him, he said, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God said, don't forget who did this for you. You didn't do it for yourself. I did this for you. I made this possible for you to do. When we face these giants, it's easy to try to do things our way, which, like I said, sometimes is what got us there to begin with. When I've got an enemy, you know what I want to do? I don't want to forgive him. I want to get even with him. I want to treat him like he does. I want to treat him worse. I want him to know how bad I felt, and then maybe he'll repent. When Angie's rude to me, you know what I want to do? I want to be rude to her so she won't be rude to me. (laughs) My way doesn't work, and your way probably doesn't work either. We've got to give the credit and the glory to God. Psalm 75 and verse 7 says, God is judge. He puts down one and exalts another. If things are going good for you, it's because God has exalted you. There was a rich man that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12. And one year, the crops were just abundant. And he goes, what am I going to do? I've got so many crops that I've harvested, I don't have a place to put them. He goes, I know what I'll do. He said, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and then I can put all this stuff in, and then I can retire. And God spoke to him. He said, you fool. This night your life shall be required of you. Here was a man that forgot that it was God that gave him all these things. So when we're facing our giant, we've got to remember that it's God that's going to do it for us. It's going to get us through. In Corinthians, Paul says, uh, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So what's the end of the story? Going back to uh, um, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine. Do you know what it means to prevail? To prevail means to be greater in strength, to triumph. 
Like Paul said in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. When David started out, Solomon or Saul said, you're just a kid. You can't do this. And his brothers got mad at him. And they said, you can't do this. But then it says David prevailed. He was greater in strength than that giant. And so the message is, you can overcome the giant in your life. The alcoholism, the pornography, the, the marital problems, the money problems, the sin problems, you can overcome. That's the lesson that God wants us to get out of this. David trusted God, and then he faced the problem head on, and he realized it was God giving him the strength. And we can overcome the giants in your life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have a good life. He wants you to go to heaven. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Someone dies and, and they're lost and spend eternity in hell. God does not like that. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to have a good life here. He wants you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have good kids. He wants you to have good relationships with the people at church and the people you work with. God wants for you to have a good life. He tells children, obey your parents that it may be well with you. God wants you to have a good life. And the lesson that we can learn from David is that we can overcome the giants. Paul, one last verse, Paul told the uh, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there has no temptation taken you. In other words, you're not tempted any differently from anyone else. There's no temptation, no problem you face, but what is this common to man? Now, some of us like to sit in the corner and cry and say, poor, poor, pitiful me. This isn't fair. I'm the only one going through this. But out of the millions, <laughs> any of you follow me on Facebook, you might have seen recently I posted, there's 8 billion people in the world and miracle of miracles, I'm the best driver. <laughs> you know what? 8 billion people in the world you're not having a problem that a lot of other people don't have. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. God promises that you can overcome the giant in your life. Like I said, there are other times where we can talk about how to overcome addictions and marriage problems and, and finances and stuff like that. We don't have time this morning. But the thing I want you to get this morning is we've got to have the right attitude. Rather than giving up and saying, I can't do this, like people who commit suicide, we've got to have faith in God and say, somehow I'm going to get through this. We need to remember David. We need to run towards the problem. We need to face it, and we need to do what we can, and we need to trust God. Now, that may mean getting professional help, getting help within the church, getting help from a spouse, a parent, but we can overcome the problem. So we always sing a song of invitation or song of encouragement. And 
I hope that God's word this morning has uh, opened your eyes to the possibilities for you. So while we sing this song of encouragement, uh, think about the things we've talked about, or maybe you're thinking about other things, other changes you need to make. So while we sing this song, think about the changes you need to make and make up your mind to do it, and uh, then start today to make those changes while we stand and sing.